Hello and a warm welcome. I am Armin Trost, Professor for Organizational Behavior at the Furtwangen University in Germany and this is my course on Social Research Methods. All right, welcome everybody to the second session of our course, Social Research Methods. And um, I mentioned it earlier that we, we, we human beings, we have a kind of access to reality. Yeah? We see the world. We see our social environment. We see other people. And we have a kind of understanding of what is there. Right? It's not that we are completely blind. We see the world. We see the reality. We, we do this. So, okay. But, but now here comes the point. Is it really that what you see as a human being, is that, is that really the truth? No, it's not. It's probably not. So I would like to share with you some evidences, some ideas that will tell you that human beings, when looking at the world, and when human beings try to understand the world, uh, when human beings try to explain the world, that they are very much biased. And what they see is not really the truth 100%. So uh, the first thing I would like to share with you is a, is a little experiment that was done by, by Solomon Ash, who was a great psychologist um, early in the, 19th, uh, the 20th century. And he did the following. Uh, let's, let's assume you are, you are a participant in, a, in, a, in an experiment. Okay, we name this a subject. You are a subject in an experiment, but you are not alone. There are six other people, and you are all sitting in a row. And now the experimenter came, comes in and, and says, Okay, guys, here is the task. Look, here is a line. Uh, let's say here the red line. Okay, and your task is to, to tell me which of the black lines on the right side does correspond in terms of the length with the reference line on the left. So is it A, B, or C? Which has the same length as the line on the left side? So you, you, you look at this and, and instantly you will say, okay, it's B. <laughs> it's B. It's obvious, right? So, so now the experimenter asks the first subject in the row. And this first subject says, A. A. <laughs> you listen, you hear this and say, oh, what? forgot his glasses or so, uh, then, then it's the turn of the next subject. And the next subject, number two, says, A, now you are confused. <laughs> yeah? The third subject also says, A, and the fourth says, A, and the fifth says, A, and the sixth says, says A. And now it's your turn. You are subject number seven. And now you are in a conflict, right? So, because on one side you see uh, line A is the right one, obviously, but all the others said uh, line B is the right one, sorry. Line B is the right one, but all the people said A. I mean, they are all students. They are kind of intelligent. At least we can assume this. So, what do you do? Uh, do you... Do you, do you stick to your own opinion or do you go along with the, with the opinion of the others? 
And what Solomon Ash found is that a lot of people, they follow the majority. So actually, this study was about the influence of majority. Interesting, yeah? The influence of majority. And that was a very simple paradigm in an experiment to, to look at how people react on the influence of a majority. And it was really a significant amount. I don't know the numbers, but, but they were really decent. Now, when you look at this experiment, um, the truth seems to be obvious. But very often the truth is not so obvious. I currently, while I, while I record this, uh, this video, uh, we are in the midst of the, the corona crisis. And as you all experience or have experienced, the corona crisis was full of uncertainty. And with regards to the behavior of the corona crisis and also with regards to the effect of the lockdown measures and all the things, there was a tremendous amount of uncertainty. We did not really know what is the truth. Really not. So we, we learned during the corona crisis. And, and now in, in, in Germany here, six weeks after the lockdown, we know much more than in the beginning of the lockdown. And when there is a much uncertainty, when we do not really know the truth, the people create their truth. And they have opinions and they have their views on things. And the idea is that very often what you believe is true is because others believe it's true. You know, there is a, a kind of a, 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 a common understanding, a shared understanding. So what you believe uh, what's be being true very much depend on what those people believe it's true that surround you in your community. Okay? And you can assume that a lot of things that you believe uh, about politics, about religion, about societies, about whatever is pretty much determined by a shared view. So please do not Please do not believe that you, 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 yourself, you have created your own opinion. No, you did not. You probably did not. And there's also this, this it's originally a German term, which I really like. It's the Zeitgeist. The Zeitgeist. Zeitgeist is a shared opinion. And it's there. You can't see it, but it's there. And, you, and it affects you. And once you have a certain opinion on something, uh, then comes the conformity bias. It's a bias that we know in psychology that you prefer information, you prefer sources that support your already existing opinion so that your already existing view on the world will be, how should I say, it will be uh, supported. Okay? So large parts of your understanding is determined by, by the social environment. And now you could say, okay, but I also have my senses. I can see things. I can see the truth. Yeah, if I, I mean, when, I, when you look out of the window, you see things. And, and you assume that uh, what you see is there. <laughs> right? Uh, the opposite, by the way, is what we call the solipsism. It's a um, philosophical idea that there is no reality. Yeah, there is, everything you see is just an illusion. <laughs> but that's crazy. <laughs> okay, anyway. 
So you can see things with your eyes, you can hear things with your ears as you do it now, right? So when you look at this picture here, uh, really the, the lines are absolutely parallel, really. But for you, when you look at these lines, these lines appear as being kind of shaky, right? They are not shaky, they are really parallel. parallel. And now you can, you can use your, your uh, kind of lineal or some tools and you can, you can check whether they are really, whether the distance really the same at every, at every point and you will find out that this is really true. But still, even though you know the truth, and even if you believe me, <laughs> Professor Trost that, said that these lines are parallel, so I believe it. Yes, even, even though you know it, it's not possible for you, really not, it's not possible for you to see this line as being parallel. You, you, you can't. It's an optical illusion. You really can't. Okay, so now you might say, hmm, uh, if I cannot fully rely on my eyes, okay, got it. If I cannot fully rely on, 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 on the social environment that affects my opinion, at least I can think. We are, we are human beings, so what, what we have, luckily, is something that, like a co cognitive system, we have especially our prefrontal cortex, that's something absolutely cool, uh, that's a supercomputer, right. much more than a supercomputer, it's a super mega mega super supercomputer, it's, uh, it's, it's the most smartest thing we can imagine. I don't want to go too deep in that matter, but we can say, okay, we human beings, at least we can think. And we can draw reasonable conclusions. Okay, let's have a try. Uh, some of you might remember a television show that was broadcasted a couple of years ago, maybe in some countries that still exist. It's, uh, it goes like this. There are three gates let's say, or windows or whatever, and you are a candidate in this television show, and the idea is that behind one of the gates there is a precious award, uh, let's say a car, right? And behind the other gates there is a goat. And you have to make a choice now. So let's say you, you choose gate one. Okay, you choose gate one. And now the moderator comes by and says, okay, candidate, you choose one. Nice. Um, well, I do you a favor and I open gate three. Okay, and now uh, there is a goat. So that's nice because now you know it's no more three gates from which I have to choose. Now it's only two. And what most people think now, and probably this candidate also thinks, and probably you also thinks, uh, think, thinks uh, you are thinking that way, is, okay, in the beginning there was um, 30, 33%, 33%, 33%, uh, a third. Third uh, probability that behind the gate there is the, uh, the, the price, the car. And now, when, when one when, when gate was uh, opened, there are only two. So now the probability that the car is behind one of the gates is 50%, 50%. And this is wrong. This is really wrong. Um, 
the probability that the car is behind the second door is twice as high now than the probability that the car is behind the first door. And I, I, I share this sometimes in my classrooms with the students and I see at least one half of the students who are completely confused. They, that could not be. No, that could not be. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. But it's really true. It's really true. Yeah. So even our, our, our cognitive reasoning sometimes is very biased and does not lead us to the right insight there. No, it, it, our brain is wonderful. In our cognitive system, our intelligence is wonderful. Really, it helps us a lot to reduce complexity in a very, very complex world, but not to the fullest extent. Really not. When we, when we look at the world, we have to understand, this is something very fundamental in, in psychology, is that we very often use, not very often, we almost always use two systems. And that's a, a real simplification, an oversimplification, I would say. But, but that's a fundamental idea in psychology that we can separate two layers. And one layer is what we name the rational layer. This is what I just were talking about. This is the layer, this is uh, the, 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 the cortex, uh, especially the prefrontal cortex that we use for thinking, for reasoning, for complex uh, problem solving. Uh, so when you puzzle, uh, when you do a puzzle in, in, in math, for instance, you use exactly that, that part. Uh, and that's very essential to understand the reality. It's a very, 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 very important tool, so to speak. But underneath, there is the, I would name it the intuitive layer. We could also name it the emotional layer, but that's maybe not the right term because also with a prefrontal cortex, there's a lot of effect on our emotion. But, okay, emotional, intuitive layer, it's, it's the unconscious system in your brain. And this unconscious system, that makes you feel about things. Uh, so when you... When you, when you look into the reality, when you observe the reality, then you always make use of both systems. And very often, it's not just that you um, understand something, you feel something. You feel that this theory is good. You feel that this political opinion is a good one. You feel things. When you when you want to understand, okay, is that a good car or not a good car? You feel it instead of really calculating it. And this feeling of something, the, the, the feeling, the reality, the, the feeling of, of, of what is there uh, is something that happens extremely fast and without any effort. I mean, you, you don't feel the effort. When you do a puzzle in math and you use your prefrontal cortex, the, the rational system, that's much effort. You cannot do it for a long, long time. Concentrate on this video now. I mean, after 40 minutes, you better make a little break. <laughs> but you can feel things for, forever. You can listen to music forever. That's no effort. Really. And that's, but that's the intuitive system. So when you look into the world, you always use these two more or less. You all, always use the intuitive system. Always. Right? So, for instance, you... You, you, you walk through the wood, and let's say we are, we are now 10,000 years from now in the past, 
when you were walking through the wood, uh, probability was really low that you meet another person. So, so now you walk through the wood and now you see another person. And it really was essential that within a few milliseconds, you have an idea whether this person is uh, dangerous or not. And that really works. You can show a picture to people, say, dangerous or not, like it or not. Also, I mean, I teach human resource management. We, we know that when a candidate, an applicant, comes into the door, there is already the people in the room, the interviewers, the recruiters, the HR personnel, the future manager, they, they see this candidate and they make a kind of initial judgment right in the moment when this candidate enters the door. It's prejudice, of course, but that happens. And that does not happen with your irrational layer, it happens with your intuitive layer. So then it could, might be that you talk to this person and you really think and you, you want to understand this person. Maybe you make an intelligence test and all these, these things that help you to come up with a reasonable judgment. But that's much effort. Liking or not liking a person, that happens without effort, unconsciously, within very fast. But really seeing the world, that's much effort. And in science, we use the rational system, of course, knowing that the other system is always there, always. Okay? So this can go on and on and on and on and on and on, really. Um, why did I share this with you? Just to summarize, the people's individual understanding of reality is heavily biased, really, by their social environment. Okay, that was the Ash experiment, for instance. I mean, there, there are many others. Um, human senses, our ears, our eyes, our whatever, uh, don't see the ultimate truth. You get an impression of the truth, maybe, but not the real truth. Really not. Uh, I really must hesitate. There are so many, so many cool examples. But, you know, okay, there are illusions. There are optical illusions. Yeah, we know this. And even our, the human reasoning, the, when using logic, drawing conclusion about things, hmm, yeah, we, we, are, we are quite good in that. But it's much effort. And we, very often we don't do this. And, and sometimes we go the easy way in, in seeing the world. Uh, so uh, very often our, our cognition, the way how we see the world, is, is effortless. We want to use information in a very efficient way. So what we always do when looking at the world, when we try to understand the world, is we, we, we simplify, always. And this is something that, that, that researchers don't want to do. <laughs> so they want to see the world as it is, and not how you feel it. Right. So humans, human beings are pretty good in seeing things. But they are not perfect in understanding the real reality. Okay? It's important to see this. And this is where science comes into play. Science is objective. And uh, what does that mean, objective? Objective means that what Whatever you do in research, when you do a study, for instance, when you look at things, whatever you do, the outcome is completely independent from the researcher, researcher him or herself. 
you, get, you see this? It's, it's independent from the researcher, him or herself. So we, we believe there is a truth. We try to understand it. And that has nothing to do with me as the researcher. It's objective. Everything else would be subjective. And it's systematic. So when we look at the world, we do not just look at it. We do not just simply observe. We do it in a very careful, systematic, planned and controlled way. That's why we are here in this course. So that you learn how to do things in a very systematic way. Observing things not just like this, but having maybe uh, uh, doing a systematic observation. I mean, that's this term, and it's systematic observation. It's very, it's very hard to do this. It's very, very difficult. So, um, and when you do studies, they th these things must always be repeatable. That means you are so clear in what you do, you, you exactly describe what you do, so that anybody who wants to do the same study again, we name this to replicate the study, is capable of doing so. So there are no secrets. It's very open, very, very transparent. So, and also when you look into any scientific article, you will find uh, always, I mean always, always, one part in the study where the methods are clearly described. It's not funny. It's not, it's not exciting. It's, it's just, it's just that, it's just the facts. <laughs> Um, we always want to generalize. This is what research does. So, for instance, in social research, uh, we never can observe all human beings. This is simply not possible. That never was. But we might do an experiment with 60 people, or we might do a survey, surveying 1,000 people. But at the end, we want to draw a conclusion about what we name the population, which might be all human beings. Right? So, for instance, here now in the corona crisis, when we try to understand, okay, what is the infection rate in, in, a, in a certain country, you might draw a, a random sample. That's the best way you could do. Uh, 10,000 people in a country and you test all the 10,000 and then you learn maybe that 15% in this sample are infected. Okay, then you draw a conclusion upon the entire country that in Germany might be more than 80 million. So, so you never test all 80 millions, but just test sample. So you generalize yeah, to the entire population. And what you do in research is uh, you, you test hypotheses or you generate hypotheses. We're going to talk about this in the next episode. So the, the, the core of any research, also the core in social research, are always theories. And theories are a description or a reflection of what we name the truth. Okay, so that's that's the thing. This this is what we are fighting for. At the end, we always fight. We work for getting theories which are valid. That's that's the that's the whole intention. Okay, so that was a starting point, and in the next episode, we're going to talk about. Um, how to define a research question and how to create a hypothesis because that's very often the starting point of any kind of research you do. So, thanks for watching, thanks for listening.